Welcome to, you're going to have to remind me what episode this is because I have no idea. I'm pretty sure it's seven. I think you're right. Welcome to episode seven. What's new, Sally? Uh, I cut off all my hair. It feels amazing. I love it. Thank you. You look like a pixie fairy. Thanks. It feels so good. A lot of people have been asking me if I did it myself. It does and, not look like you did it yourself. It looks really good. I know, but I like to fuck with people, but I still don't say yes. But it seems like, really? Well, this is the time when everyone is doing that, cutting their own hair. I need a haircut. I need a little trim. Yeah. What's new with me? Um, I've been in a grumpy mood kind of all day, which sucks. Mm. And I'm like... Worried that, because I've been hanging out with Kevin most of the day and worried that, like, he's totally sick of me. And it's really just, I'm sick of me. (laughs) And I feel like for the last week, I've been just waiting until it was, like, an acceptable time to eat ice cream. So I just... In the day? Yeah. So I'm like, (laughs) I I try to wait until dessert time after dinner. (laughs) No, like the man. Goal. But like, why? I want to eat ice cream the second I wake <laughs> up, and I was like, no, I'm gonna eat some eggs. And then See? I'm gonna go on a walk, and then I'm like, no, I gotta eat some lunch. I gotta eat. I gotta have a sandwich. I gotta. <laughs> I feel partially to blame for this, just because we always have ice cream and ice cream cones at our house, and they're just real hard to resist. So I didn't think that. Um, the H-E-B brand Creamy Creations ice cream was like going to be great. It's amazing. <laughs> it's some of the best creamy <laughs> creations I've ever put in my mouth. Is it just the cookies and cream one or is it's it? It's the cookies and cream one. Branch yeah, out. That's, that's the one I got. That's my favorite flavor of all time, really. Mm. Mm. And it is so good. It's pretty satisfying. So I ate a little bit before we hopped on here to do this, and I feel like I'm probably going to have some more when we're done. Oh. That sounds great. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, I like a good afternoon ice cream cone, like hiding in the closet. Mm Mm-hmm. Or like, I'm going to take out the trash, and then you just like stand in the garage and like, (laughs) but I really enjoy the like cone sensation, so it's Mm -hmm. hard to eat an ice cream cone quickly. Yeah. I do feel yeah. like when I put it in a cone, I actually eat less ice cream. Yeah. Because you can't fit that much in and or on the cone. Well, you can and try. Was, yeah, you can try. <laughs> but I was saying this to Kevin the other day, and he was like, mm-hmm, whatever you got to tell yourself. <laughs> it's better out of the cone, really. It's better for you. So today's topic is ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> Food therapy. No. Today's topic <laughs> is therapy. Therapy. Uh, more specifically, talk therapy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, which can be supp- supplemented by your favorite ice cream, <laughs> should you choose. <laughs> I feel like we need a therapy sound effect that's like, you know, like a trumpet. 
for therapy or for ice cream? Or? For every time we say therapy in this episode. Okay. Or every time we say ice cream. I feel like we need like an ice cream truck to drive by with little, <gasps> oh, little sounds. I love it. Do you remember that when you uh, were a kid, the ice cream truck drive by and you like freak out? Yeah. I need money. They, I need money. It's the, um, the song they sing is from The Sting. It's The Entertainer. I say, I, yeah. I know that song. Oh. Stuff, Sally. <laughs> so, what qualifies mm-hmm. us to talk about this topic? You're a therapist, <laughs> for one, mm-hmm. and you've been in therapy, different kinds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm not a therapist, but I have been in therapy. I'm, I have been in couples therapy. I'm currently in individual therapy mm-hmm. with my second individual therapist. I'm currently in a group therapy, which is my first, this is my first experience in a group therapy. And yeah, so that is what, that those are the quali- qualifications that we have to talk about this topic. I wanted, <laughs> before we started, like I wanted to, when's the first time you went to therapy? Was it like as an adult or did you go as a child? I did not go as a child. I was an adult. It was probably 10 or 11 years ago, the first time I went. Mm. Um, in hindsight, though, I don't think, well, I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. Um, I didn't really know how to make it work for me. Mm. Not that you're supposed to know necessarily, but I also don't think I had a great fit for a therapist for me at the time mm-hmm. either. But it's like, if it's your first experience, you don't have a clue what you're looking for. Right. You know? And yeah. And I think I'm glad you brought up all of those things. Cause I think those are things that everybody struggles with when they're yeah. looking for therapists or considering therapy. Or I think I started therapy when I was, 14 or something. Um, and she, I thought she was a great fit for me because she didn't do a lot of talking. She just kind of sat there and let me rage, but there was a lot of ritual about it too. Like when I got to her office, my mom would stay out in the waiting room and I would, she would walk me back and make me a cup of tea. Mm -hmm. And it just felt so like respectful, like Mm -hmm. me, this kid, she's going to spend time making me a cup of tea, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and that was a really good experience. I think that she probably started shaping me into the therapist path. Because I, when I was a kid, I had nightmares almost every night. And at that period of my life, I was having tornado nightmares. What is that? And Just nightmares about tornadoes? Yeah. Oh, I thought, that was like a, I thought that was like a term <laughs> I didn't know. Oh, no, it's literally a nightmare where tornadoes are coming at you every okay. night. And you're like, guys, really, we should really hunker down this time. And people still don't listen. Um, but yeah, so I feel like I've been ingrained, like therapy has been ingrained in me for a long time, but I still have also had bad fits. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it. so you want me to start my vomit? Well, um, I kind of want to like kind of sort of define like what is talk therapy? Oh, what is okay. it? And, what is and it? also, and also... Like, 
I, for a long time, didn't really understand the difference between psychology and psychiatry. Okay. So I kind of want to touch on that, too. Okay. So, um, wait, which one do you want me to do first? What? Well, let's, yeah, what is, what is talk therapy? So talk therapy is a highly regulated, um, ethically defined relationship between a therapist, someone who has a license in some field. There's a couple different fields you can get a license in, but who has an advanced degree. So not just like a, um, a college degree, but an advanced degree post-college, um, and then has gone through a series of license licensure hours and supervision, and and then that person sits with you and talks about all the things that you're going through. But it is very regulated, and it differs it differs from like coaching, whereas coaching you don't necessarily need to have a certification or a certain degree. You mean like a life coach, like a life coach or a wellness coach or a executive coach, Mm -hmm. those people are more um, goal-oriented, and a good coach will refer you to a therapist if mental health stuff starts coming up. Okay. And mental health stuff is like triggers, you know, problems with relationships, problems with functioning, eating, sleeping, showing up for work, Mm -hmm. um, patterns that are repeating, addiction problems sex problems, all those kind of things are things mm-hmm. that coaches will refer over to the very regulated therapy field okay. as opposed to dealing with them in their office. Can talk therapy also be goal-oriented? Absolutely. You can go in for like a specific thing to work on? Absolutely. And therapists do much more than just mental health um, maintenance, mm-hmm. I would say. Um but then let's talk about psychiatrists and psychologists and mm-hmm. counselors. And so a psychiatrist has a medical degree. So a psychiatrist has gone to med school, has gone to college, and then has gone to the additional like seven years of medical school and done residency and training. And a psychiatrist can prescribe medication. And some psychiatrists also do talk therapy mm-hmm. or other types of therapy with their clients, patients. But most psychiatrists generally just do um, prescription management okay, and um, health, you know, me- the medical side of mental health. Okay. Whereas psychologists, mm-hmm. so when you're a psychologist, that means you have a PhD, a, a doctorate, um, and some psychologists practice um, clinically, like they see patients, but a lot of psychologists practice as research psychologists. So they're the ones who do medication research and counseling research and like Pavlov's dog research and write papers and write journals and also go on to teach. And then the master's level is like what I am. So I have a master's degree, which was an additional three years after college. And then many, many years of training after that. Um, and master's level people can be social workers. They could be a licensed professional counselor. That's what I am. Um, they can be a licensed mental health associate. I think that's the, those are the the letters. Mm-hmm. But there are lots of different types of counselors and therapists that you'll encounter if you start looking. And basically what you need to know is everybody is pretty qualified. Psychiatrist is the medication. 
right. is the med school one. So you don't need to see a psychiatrist every week. Generally, you will see a psychiatrist once and then see them every three to six months, depending on how you're doing. Mm-hmm. And they're very expensive here in the U.S., um, but you don't see them that often. So that's good. And if you're working with uh, a professional counselor who thinks that you may need medication, they will perhaps refer you to, to see a psychiatrist. For sure. They should. Right. They should. Yeah. If they notice things are not, if your depression isn't managed or your anxiety isn't managed, and that's, again, the functioning. Mm-hmm. This is what we pay attention to in every session with every client is how are they functioning? Are they eating? Are they sleeping? Are they maintaining relationships? Are they able to show up for work? And when one of those starts to fall away, then we're like, hmm, I might, we might watch you for medication. And then if more things start to fall, then we'll refer out and make it more of a team effort if it isn't already. Cool. Yeah. Uh. So, yeah, there's a lot of people out there, I think, who are currently in therapy, who have been in therapy before, Mm -hmm. who have never been in therapy and want to, who have never been in therapy and really do not want to. (laughs) (laughs) I know lots of those. Yeah, I am simultaneously the one who's always in therapy and the one who's so resistant. Mm. So resistant. Yeah. Um. Well, okay, let's dive let's dive in. Okay. Do we want to dive in with what with my thoughts, with my questions? I have other people's questions, but Um, well, maybe we'll do do you want to do like some practical stuff like where to look for a therapist? Uh, yeah. what's it like to start therapy? What how do I contact a therapist? What should I say when I contact a therapist? Like I feel like those questions are so basic but also so daunting. Yeah. Like when my husband started therapy, was trying to start therapy, he wrote like a two and a half page email to this therapist that he was just, that he was thinking about asking right. if she was available. And I was like, honey, you just, you can, you don't you have just to say do hi. that. But he didn't know. <laughs> yeah. 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 No. I feel um, like I was really lucky because um, I started out with, with this organization in Austin called Sims. Mm-hmm. And I thought, it would be a good idea for me to start therapy. I'd never done it before. And I reached out to them and they kind of just hooked me up with someone they thought that would be a good fit. That's and pretty awesome. It, it made the, like it made it really easy for me. But I know that had I not had them, and so that was actually my second experience. My mm-hmm. first was kind of like, I don't know what to do, kind of like out there by myself. And I was just like Googling. And I remember like I found this <laughs> website. Um, I think the therapist was still um, getting some hours in, so her mm-hmm. rates were like a little bit more affordable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't know I didn't know what I was doing, but like I was reading their little bios and I was looking at all their pictures of all the people that worked at this place. And I like I think I just picked the one that like I liked her picture. Well, that's yeah, like that, that's how I that's how I that's chose pretty the first normal. one. That's pretty normal. I mean, okay, so let's talk about some different avenues of accessing care first, mm-hmm. and then what you should do when you've when you're about to access it or setting up your first appointment or what you should bring to your first appointment. Um, so 
if you live in the U.S., this is for you. I have some stuff for the U.K. I was Googling earlier, and there is some information for the U.K., but this, what I'm talking about right now, is specific for the U.S. Cool. Um, so, some... Um, so if you have insurance, a good place to start is calling your insurance provider and asking if any of men- any mental health services are covered for you. And if they are, which they should be, ask for a list of providers who are in network with your insurance carrier. In network just means you're going to pay less to right. see that person than out of network. Right. And um, that's different. My mom always wanted me to know that that just because they take your insurance does not mean they're in network. It's a different thing. Right. So, Absolutely. So even yeah. when people call and ask me if I'm available, I say, please call your insurance first mm-hmm. and ask if I am in network for you, right. how many sessions you get, what your copay is, if there's any pre-approval required. Um, and so the insurance is a place to start. If you have an employer there's usually a program called an EAP, Employee Assistance Program, and they're like the mental health and kind of life management part of your HR. And the EAP can also sometimes set you up with a specific counselor or with counselors who accept that EAP service. Mm-hmm. And then you'll get maybe five or 10 free sessions or cheap sessions. Or So it's always good to explore that avenue, especially if you work for like a bigger something like a school system or a grocery store chain or a hospital, like exploring what's available to you. Well, yeah, because therapy is not cheap. And so if you can get some help paying for it. Yeah. And so then if you don't have insurance and you don't have a job that covers health, uh, mental health, um, there's always low cost counseling available. Um, you just are going to have to dig, but like Patty was talking about with Sims, the um, helping artists, musician, Austin mm-hmm. artists and musicians, or helping Austin mm-hmm. musicians. What is it? Um, you just will dig because as therapists, we a lot of times we work for free between when we get our degree and when we become fully licensed, mm-hmm. and that can be like a three to five year process. And so you could see a therapist through like a community agency that has two and a half years experience doing one specific thing that is what you need. And so just because they're not fully licensed doesn't mean they don't know what they're doing. And also when someone isn't fully licensed, they're being heavily supervised by a qualified supervisor. Does that mean someone else is in the room? No, it means that that person, um, the intern or the associate will meet with their supervisor very regularly, like once a week or a couple of times a month and process all their cases. And so they may, they won't say like your first and last name, but they will say like, my client P is dealing with this and this is what I'm helping her do. What are your thoughts? And the therapist, the supervisor helps the therapist dig into how they could do it better, what they're not doing well, what they are doing well. So it's a very supported method, but there are, there are low cost counseling agencies everywhere. I've worked at so many myself, like they're just everywhere, but you have to dig. Um, and sometimes you won't see someone who has 15 years of service and beautiful leather couches, you know, it right. might be a little bit, you know, more decrepit and that's just what community healthcare kind of is, mm-hmm. but that there are still definitely, um, options available. 
Um, the other thing that is happening more and more here is people are doing text therapy. Hmm. Um, and I was looking at it earlier. There's like so many different platforms where you can sign up and pay a mon- monthly or a weekly fee. And then you have access to a therapist and you do video sessions or text therapy or phone calls. <clears throat> and these are all licensed therapists. And so I think for like um, just where we are in the world today, it seems like a really good choice. And I recommend it. Sometimes I'll recommend it to my my clients for their like millennial children or mm-hmm. their older parents who can't get out of the house. It's just a way of having connection with someone else who's licensed and knows what they're doing, but in a uh, less formal way. Yeah. Seems really accessible too, like easy. It is. It's not as cheap as I thought it would be, but I guess Mm -hmm. you're paying for a licensed therapist. But so some of the ones I saw were BetterHelp and Talkspace. Mm -hmm. And then there was one, I think it's called Teen Therapy that's just for teens. And so it has like strict... um, stricter ethical things because of dealing with a minor. And then there was hmm. one, I think, re regain maybe just for couples therapy online. Cool. Like, that's amazing. Sounds so yeah. good. So if that makes it more affordable and they have payment plans and <clears throat> I think Talkspace also has, <coughs> sorry, um, uh, like scholarships available or reduced fee. Um, so it's always worth investigating. Just dig and dig and dig and dig. So how much is therapy generally? There's like there's like a range, mm-hmm. right? So if I guess if if you're paying out of pocket for a session, how, like how much does a session run typically? Um, out of pocket is probably going to be between one and two hundred dollars. Okay, one hundred and two hundred, um, and it also depends on where you live. Mm-hmm. Um, and how much experience that, that therapist has. And Mm -hmm. so sometimes if you have insurance, but there aren't any in-network providers, you can also submit for reimbursement and get some of your money back with, and some people you can use HSA funds Mm -hmm. to pay their therapy too, which is a nice benefit. Right. I heard though, also that some insurance companies, will not cover talk therapy unless you have a diagnosis of some Mm. kind. Mm. Okay, And because of that reason, then also some therapists choose not to accept Mm -hmm. insurance. These are all, Mm -hmm. these Mm -hmm. are all facts. Yes. Yeah. Um, However, there, there are ways that therapists can be more mindful about that. If, you are concerned about it as a patient or client, I would bring that up openly with your therapist or the person you're considering seeing and saying, Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily want this heavy diagnosis, any heavy diagnosis on my chart. Is there a way we could, um, there are other kinds of diagnoses that we can use that insurance providers accept that are not the like heavy hitters that are more like adjustment disorders or, um, rule out, disorders as well, which doesn't mean that you have something. It just means we're kind of watching you for something. Sure. So, but to that point, you don't, you absolutely do not need a diagnosis in order to um, be a patient of talk therapy and benefit from that. Absolutely not. And, you know, sometimes people do come to me with diagnoses and sometimes they don't. And, 
I generally diagnose people in my head, but mm-hmm. if they're a patient who's doing well and I don't feel like it's necessary, I'm not going to diagnose them unless I think it's going to benefit them. Right. Huh. I had a, a client who I did share the suspected diagnosis with last year, and it was incredibly freeing for her because she was seeing how much she was struggling and looking at other people around her in her world and thinking, why isn't this as hard for them as it is mm-hmm. for me? And why isn't therapy as intense for them as it is for me? And why does everything just harder? And so when I shared with her what I suspected was going on, she just felt so much relief. Mm-hmm. Because then she started looking into stories of people who had similar diagnoses online. And she was like, oh, there is, <laughs> there are other people out there struggling. It's not just me. I just right. wasn't looking in the right place. Right. And there's a reason why I feel this way and why things feel hard. And Yeah, exactly. I think it gave her hope more than anything, which is, I, I could have diagnosed her with that two years previously, uh-huh. but there was no point. Right. You know, for her. So... That's interesting. Um, what was I going to say? Hold on. Mm. Okay. Do you have any more questions about like practicality stuff like that? Yeah. Like, well, I was going to ask like, who is a good candidate for talk therapy? Oh, you mean like clients? Yeah. Man, I feel like everybody can benefit from talk therapy. Um, because who doesn't have something going on, mm-hmm. you know, even if it's just isolation and boredom or monotony, like that's something, you know? Um, but generally I say to people, like, if you don't feel like yourself, you don't recognize yourself or you don't like yourself, those are pretty good indicators that something isn't lining up, that you're not the person you want to be or you're mm-hmm. not the person you thought you were. Um, or that your relationships aren't where they want it, you want them to be, or something isn't lining up. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of people um, identify with that in at least one part of their life, you know? Right. Um, who isn't, I mean, like, who isn't struggling in, in just, you know, at least one area of their life? Yeah. And things, you know, life is not constant either. Like, the the struggles that we have vary from day to day, but... Um, I think it's always good to feel like you're allowed to go to therapy and have someone validate you, listen to you, but also reflect back um, a image that isn't as distorted as you see yourself. Like, I feel like I tell my clients, I hold up a mirror to them that just has no filter on it at all. And they usually see themselves through all these different layers of filters. And I just hold up mirrors and say like this, this is what you're saying. This is what you're showing. This is mm-hmm. who you are. And they either, you know, accept or deny, but it is very valuable to have that outsider perspective without judgment too, because I don't care. I don't care if you right. cheated on your wife, you know, I don't care if you quit your job. I don't care if you don't know how you're making rent next month. Like none of that is going to affect me. You know, mm-hmm. I just care because I don't want to see you struggle. Mm-hmm. You know, and why are That's you continuing so nice. to struggle? That's so nice because I feel like, I mean, hopefully, hopefully we all have some friends in our lives where we can, you know, other other people that we can turn to and talk to. Um, 
But it is so nice, in my experience anyway, to talk to someone that has absolutely no investment in my personal life, in my social life whatsoever, isn't going to judge me at all, how Mm -hmm. I spend my money, how, like anything. So I don't know why that random example just came into mind, but like, (laughs) you know, like Mm -hmm. just anything Mm -hmm. that can be happy for me when I'm happy, that can be sad with me when I'm sad. Mm-hmm. It is extremely validating. I think it's. Uh, I think that my clients also really value that they can walk into my office with a dumpster fire. Like they can just bring anything they need to, and often I say, "Like, welcome to the shit show." Like it's, I expect it, mm-hmm. and so and you accept it. Like, and, and I it's accept okay. it, and it, yeah, and it's not mine. Yeah. You know, like, yes, I will sit here with you while we watch that dumpster burn. Okay, now it's burned. What are we going to do? You know, but it's not like, oh, you burned down my dumpster, bitch. It's okay. Okay. <laughs> here we go. We're burning. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like, it's just not scary for me. And I think that's something I say to my clients a lot, especially around like um, diagnoses. If someone has been given a diagnosis by a psychiatrist or something that, is daunting or scary or, or if someone is having suicidal thoughts in my office, um, I can say honestly to them, like, this doesn't scare me. I know that this may be scary for you because it's very scary to have these kind of feelings, but this doesn't scare me. I'm okay being here with you right now and we're going to take care of it. And I don't know of a lot of places where someone can say, I'm thinking about harming myself and someone say, okay, Right. Let's let's talk about it. Let's figure it out. Right. Let's, because a lot of people that are invested in your in your life will care not that you don't care, but that you they will care so much that they will just want to fix the problem immediately. How can I help? What can I do? Right. Right. Um, yes. and also because that that makes them probably feel very uncomfortable. Right. And and you're I'm, comfortable sitting in that discomfort. Right. That is like my full-time thing is that I sit in other people's discomfort. Like I can sit patiently and wait for you to find your way out of your own discomfort safely. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. whereas people we're in relationships with do not want to see a struggle. They don't want to hear us hopeless. They don't want to hear us, you know, giving up on things. And therapists Mm -hmm. are okay, generally. Right. Okay, cool. Um, I want to dive into some other people's questions and fears Mm -hmm. around Mm -hmm. therapy. Mm -hmm. I'm going to start with Chloe, um, who says their biggest fear is being able to find the right therapist. And Mm -hmm. I think that is such a real fear because you don't, I mean, I've done this a couple times where you, I mean, it takes a few sessions to like, for the therapist to get to know you, for you to kind of feel out the therapist and feel like if is this a, is this a right fit so how do you know if you've found a good fit um because I yeah. think the fear for me is like I don't want to waste time I don't want to waste money mm-hmm. okay maybe that's talk could about be part the money of- thing <laughs> okay <laughs> because um okay so generally in life you get what you pay for And 
therapy is not usually different. Mm-hmm. And when you start down the path of I'm going to invest in my mental health, I think that it has to be just that, not a I'm going to get a good return on my money or mm-hmm. this session is worth this many dollars, but right. how much is my health worth to me? Mm-hmm. You know, if you had a broken arm, <laughs> would you pay what it took to get your broken arm fixed? I hope. America kind of sucks right now, but still, we're going to go with the broken arm thing. Okay. <laughs> um, considering it an investment in your health. It's not just your mental health. It's your health, health. They're mm-hmm. both connected, your body and the brain. They're mm-hmm. connected. Your emotions are a part of it. Um, and so you may spend a couple hundred dollars um, and figure out that that person isn't exactly what you want. Um, and some some reasons that you might say, this isn't what I want or this isn't right to me, um, is if the therapist feels like they have an agenda, um, if they're trying to convince you of something or um, their ideals and morals don't line up with yours. And that so is seems that like something a- you should maybe touch on in, in the beginning of your relationship with a therapist? Yeah, for ideals sure. Ideals and, and morals. I mean, I think it's a good idea to bring out, like, this is who I am. This is what I believe in. This is what I'm looking for in a therapist, too. Because a therapist will will and should tell you, like, oh, I, I am very comfortable with queer relationships. Or mm-hmm. I've never worked with someone who was queer. Mm-hmm. You know, like, that, that kind of um, transparency is very important, and I hope that you get it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I would say when you're looking for a therapist, um, I prefer to send people to therapists who have a niche not someone who's like, I work with children and adults and couples and mm-hmm. elderly people, and I deal with anxiety and depression and eating disorders and addiction. Like, that's real big. What, right, that's a lot. What is your specialty exactly? So I I think it's much easier if you find a therapist who says, like, I like working with men in their 30s who are having problems in their family relationships. Like, mm, that's pretty clear. Mm-hmm. That, that that's your niche and I am that person. So maybe that's a good start. Okay. Um, side note, two places to look for therapists in the U S psychology today has got, I think hundreds of thousands of therapists on it. Um, and you can click to their profile and click to their websites and read all about what insurance they take and what kind of disorders they treat. And then also therapy den is a more, um, queer accepting um, far left kind of therapy website. Um, And I'm on both of those, but they are, (laughs) they're both places where you can look through maps, look through pictures, look through profiles to find and just read all about who's around you and who's available. Um, I would say like there are also therapists out there who are not great And so if you feel like you've gotten one of those, um, like dig in, dig into it and, and push a little, make sure it's not just like a bad day because everybody has bad days and bad sessions. Yeah. And bad sessions. But if your therapist is like routinely late or routinely forgetting about sessions or forgetting who you are or what your information is Mm -hmm. or like, those are all, that's not great. 
Oh, yeah, where don't. you where you're like talking about something you've talked about several times, and they're they're looking at you with a confused face, like you need to explain mm-hmm. it again. That's not cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did have one therapist who used to fall asleep. Oh. I was like, this isn't actually helping me. Yeah, <laughs> when you sleep during not our cool. sessions, but she was pregnant, so I kind of understand. But still, not cool, lady. Um. Michael says, should you go along with what your therapist is suggesting, even if you feel strongly that it isn't in your best interest? I'm curious, too, if this is a question coming out of an experience or a lack of experience or fear Mm -hmm. of what someone may suggest. If he goes, I'm not sure where it's coming from, but I'm curious what you have to say about it. I mean, you never have to do what your therapist says. Obviously. And they might fire you. And that's fine. Like the therapist yes. <laughs> might, might decide not to work with you anymore? Sure. Yeah. And you can always decide not to work with that therapist anymore. There's, sure. Yeah, there's no contract. For sure. I mean, I think if your therapist is pushing you, that's pretty normal because that's what therapists do. We push people into discomfort. Mm-hmm. Um, but it should never feel unsafe mm-hmm. or like it's not in your best interest or it's going to harm you. No, no, no. Yeah, pretty clear. <laughs> Kelly says, is there such thing as oversharing how much is too much? Nope. I have. Yeah, I have to assume she's specifically referring to sharing with her therapist. Oh. <laughs> I have to assume that because that's what I asked for, questions about therapy, so I have to I have to assume that. There is such a thing as oversharing probably, but um yeah, but not with your therapist. No, I talk about my clients talk about everything with me. Yeah. And that's fine. I mean, I feel like you should aim to like try to shock your therapist, like get it all out. <laughs> I love it, it. I love those. Those are so interesting. <laughs> the ones who are like, do you mind if we talk about STIs for a few minutes? And I'm like, cool. Let's yeah. <laughs> inform me. Let's go. <laughs> um, Carl says, I've never had therapy. It's strange. We just don't seem to do it in the UK, or at least it's not something that we get introduced to. I guess we'd all be a little better if we just talked a bit more. Mm -hmm. I wonder why that is like why I mean I know that therapy in general for a long time had a stigma I mean even just one generation ago because I think my parents still hold on to this stigma of um well if you're if you're in therapy something must be wrong with you Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and well I don't need to go to therapy because nothing's wrong with me Mm mm-hmm we tell my dad to go to therapy. Yeah. He's like, why would I do that? I have you guys. We're like, cool. We're not your therapist. <laughs> well, t- you are a therapist. I'm not his. Definitely not. Definitely not. Definitely not, dad. Definitely not. <laughs> um, I think that, I mean, my <laughs> very American view of the British mind is that the British like to keep their cards close to their chest and they mm-hmm. do not emote a lot. Because that's um, safer. It's safer. I don't know why that is. Um, 
that's not strictly a British thing, but I guess culturally no. speaking, yeah. Um, the NHS, the National Health Service, which is the British healthcare system, mm-hmm. um, they have access to healthcare. I mean, to mental health care. Mm-hmm. They have counselors and teen counselors and couples counselors. And um, I was reading, you could go to, there are like these different websites you can go to to get in and you don't have to have a GP refer you. Like, it seems pretty accessible, but I don't know. I mean, I don't know how accessible the NHS is, but I know that it's there. It's there. There are therapists. There are, there are therapists everywhere. And if you can't find someone exactly where you live, that's where like the online therapy really is awesome mm-hmm. to get connection, even if you're not in close proximity. Yeah. Well, and right now no one's really in close proximity. So that like mm-hmm. all my therapy is over the, over mm-hmm. zoom calls anyway, right now. Mm-hmm. Um, Michelle says, I've been doing therapy for three three years now and PTSD, oh, for PTSD um, and still doing it and I've become so much stronger. Mm, congratulations and good job on the hard work. But it is hard work. hard work. PTSD is hard work. And therapy in general too. And I think that's that can be scary for a lot of people. I don't want to, I don't really want to mm. do the hard work. It's going to be mm. hard. It's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I might not get to uh, bullshit my way through life anymore. You mm-hmm. know, I might not get to keep these toxic relationships that in some way are, you know, helping me or I think are helping me or make me look this certain way. Like therapy certainly does um, weed out the toxic things in your life. So if you're mm-hmm. not ready for that, like that is a big part of it, you know? Yeah. Eric says, I was in therapy for two years and stopped. I recently started again as a part of, uh, as a, as a part of a binge eating disorder. But to answer your question, my main fear, and I actually hid that I was going for a long time, was the stigma attached. It's unfortunate that doing something to help your mental well-being carries a stigma, but that was my biggest fear. Now I'm quite open about it. I'm not ashamed. I love my counseling. Oh, yay. That's what we want. Congratulations, and I'm glad you're showing up for yourself. Yeah, same. Yeah. And I hope, like, I try to be, like, pretty vocal about therapy online and with my fans and in my songs and (laughs) just to remove the stigma because I think that's Mm -hmm. so stupid. Yeah. It's like whatever it takes. And honestly... The people that think that they don't need it are generally the people that <clears throat> could probably benefit from it the most. <clears throat> Dad. <clears throat> <laughs> I'm glad my dad doesn't know how to listen to podcasts. Yeah, my dad won't listen unless I send him a direct link and then maybe he still won't. So I don't know. Uh, let's see. I got one more from Instagram. Let's see. Maybe I have a couple from Instagram. It says... I started into therapy for the first time when my wife walked out in October of 2019. I'm not sure what will come of it, but it's great having someone who sits and listens. I feel like a lot of that is lost to technology. Mm. So yeah, I was, I was thinking about this earlier. Two people who are doing therapy online right now. I would like you to consider doing phone calls instead if instead you, of video calls instead of video 
The phone call therapy sessions are much more intimate and they aren't as um, herky jerky. <laughs> you know what I mean by that? Like when the internet freezes or yep. the emotional, um, you lose emotional momentum when you're on video calls. Um, and yeah. when you're on a telephone, especially like with earbuds in and you can just like gaze out a window mm-hmm. and be connected with your therapist. I think that it's a much more um, intimate and cathartic experience. I much prefer doing it. And I also think that zoom sessions just exhaust us. Mm. They're like trying to maintain eye contact, trying to like, um, keep on top of face cues and social cues and it's just too much. And this, and zoom isn't accurate enough. Like the video isn't precise enough and it just fucks everything. So I would encourage you to try phone calls for me when I'm on the phone calls. It almost feels like, um, my early days when I would have a boyfriend or like a friend and we would just be on the phone together for hours, for hours, for hours. And just like gazing out the window or like, you know, looking at your cuticles, like (laughs) just that sort of like, um, letting your mind be a part of it without your eyes having to participate. Right. It's almost like the vision kind of gets in the way sometimes. It does. distracting, yeah. It does. And I mean, being in person is, of course, the most intimate and the most healing. But if you can't be in person, then I feel like telephones are, phone calls are a really good option that I want people to consider more. Yeah, I'm going to try that this week. I'm going to try that this week and I'll report back how it felt. Obviously, not in group, Mm because in in group, that would be too hard, a bunch of people on a phone call. Yeah. Yeah. I can't wait till we can get back in the same room because the Zoom, like you said, it's kind of exhausting and annoying and I, I'm kind of over it. But I'm going to try the phone call this week and I'll report back. That sounds like a cool idea. Okay. I feel like we could also write letters, you know. Letters? Dear therapist. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Don't write me any letters. I'm just <laughs> I mean, you can write letters or emails. It's not HIPAA okay. compliant. Uh, Sorry. Oh, Okay. No, I don't mean, I just mean to the podcast. Oh, yeah. Write these emails yeah. to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but not to me personally, because I won't read them. Um, okay. Uh, let's see. I got a couple on Instagram here I wanted to read. Um, I hadn't really thought about it as when we were asking for questions and fears about therapy. Jess Graf says, I hadn't really thought about it, but now that I am, I think that it's that they recommend I do things that I don't want to do. I feel like I'm pretty self-aware and I already know what uh, kind of what they'll say and things I need to do to solve the root issues, but I'm just honestly not willing to do those things. I'm getting better and have been more vocal and honest lately, but I'm not yet able to do all the things and with certain situations, not sure I ever will be able to. I just, I have to say that like when those parts of people show up in my office, I'm like, oh, hey, teenager. (laughs) It's so nice to see you, teenager, because the teenagers always say, I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want to. And they just like grind their heels in and they're like, make me, make me. Like, I'm not saying that that that's what she's saying at all, but it does sound like, like we all just have different parts of ourselves that are expressed in different ways all the time. And it just makes me wonder, like. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like she knows that those things that she just doesn't want to do are, she knows that those things are the things she probably needs to do and she's not quite ready yet. Maybe she'll be ready another time. Mm -hmm. 
I think, I mean, that's okay. Sometimes just talking about it also, I don't yeah. want to. Yeah. In your therapy session is so valuable. This is what I say to my therapist every time we meet. I don't want to. Yeah. She's like, Sally. I'm like, I don't want to. Or like, I feel okay. this way and I don't want to. Oh. I yeah, say that all a, the time. This is Sally? how I'm feeling and I don't want to feel this way. But I'm oh. acknowledging that this is the feeling that I'm feeling. Oh. It makes me sad. Because there's nothing you can do. You just have to surrender. Yeah. This is just what I'm feeling right now. I don't want yeah. to. Yep. Resisting really it just makes choice. it worse. <laughs> just makes it last longer. Yep. Makes it more intense. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. Resistance is futile. So stop. Yeah. Uh, one more. Dave's Twin 7 says, when I first started therapy, I only... I had only lived in America a couple years, so I had 23 years of being English and not talking about feelings. Initially, therapy didn't help me as I didn't utilize it in the right way. Once I finally realized what it could do for me, slow progress to really counteract my British upbringing. My first concerns were, it isn't anyone else's business and I should be able to figure it out myself. Second, third, fourth concerns, the exact same 20-odd years of therapy later, I'm a massive fan. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're raised with with this myth that we should be able to do everything on our own and do it well. And when we encounter a problem, we should be able to fix it. And when we encounter roadblocks, we should be able to navigate around them on our own. And especially, I feel like when parenting comes in, that myth just destroys us mm. because it's almost impossible to parent well without asking for support. It's hard um, to do also just to ask for help, to ask. just to admit that you can't do it all by yourself and you, the feeling like you oh should be God. able to, and that if you yes. can't, you're weak in some way. Yes. <sighs> Which is, it's all bullshit. It's all bullshit. You don't, you don't have to prove anything to anybody, right? Like do what you can and then ask for help. The end, you know? Yep. And keep asking till you get it. Also, don't give up. Patty, keep asking, Patty. Keep asking for help, Patty. I am. Okay. <laughs> Actually, I remember, like, I remember explicitly having this conversation with you, like, maybe in November mm -hmm. of, like, you just, like, I can't do everything on my own. I'm trying, and I can't. And then people just kept showing up for you, like, mm -hmm. Like routinely, people were just appearing out of the woodwork like, oh, I'm here to help you. Oh, I'm here to help you. As I was falling apart. As you were, yes. And you were like, Because I, I had just been doing it myself for so long and it was mm -hmm. un not sustainable. Mm -hmm. And then you, you like, you let go of that firm, like gripping that you had of like, I'm going to do it alone. Yeah. I don't and need as, you. As I don't soon want as you to let go, you. like yeah. you were like everyone around you caught you. Mm-hmm. It feels good. Mm -hmm. It's like it's hard to do. It's hard to let go. Mm -hmm. But then when you realize you've, you've, I mean, hopefully you have support, a support system, a group of friends, people that care about you, mm -hmm. that will catch you when you fall. That feeling is so good. Just mm -hmm. to give others the opportunity to be there for you. Mm -hmm. exactly. The way you would be there for your friend. You would be there. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Just... Just a final couple of questions I had. Um, 
how long is someone typically in therapy? A few weeks, a few months, a few years? Can you start and stop whenever you want to? Can you go as needed? Is that kind of all that on a case-by-case? Um, I mean, not necessarily. I think that there are some standards, and also I have some opinions. Mm-hmm. You guys know I have opinions. You have lots. <laughs> um, I, I think generally we'll, people will um, actively participate in therapy for a couple of years, like maybe cycles. Like they'll need it for like a year or 18 months or something and then really feel some growth and be like, I'm good, I'm good, I'm going to back off. And then if things come up again, it's totally fine to revisit that relationship and ask for help again. And and I definitely have clients who do that, who come in and out and fall off the radar and then come back. And um, that's totally fine. Yeah. Um, I don't love when people just go as needed. Mm-hmm. Because that all seems like surface level bullshit to me. Right. Um, Because it's, and I say this to you all the time, it's the sessions where clients show up without an itinerary where we get the most work done. Yep. Because if you come in without a list of things you're going to talk about or... I was always afraid to show up in therapy without having that having that agenda, having prepared, having to know exactly, I want to talk about this, I want to talk about, I'm going to ask her about this and this. Yeah. And it was just like I was checking things off a list and it, it it just didn't feel like I was digging in to anything important. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah a, going in. A lot in, of the work is, is done in the sil- stillness and the silence. Like mm-hmm. um, When you think you have I, nothing to talk about, it's like, oh, where did that come from? Yeah. And I think having a, establishing a relationship with a therapist where you see them frequently and you trust them and they trust you. And, um, I think that that's very good. And honestly, what I see in my therapy a lot is people who will come for no big reasons, but they like continue to just be there. Um, like they just keep showing up and I'm like, yeah, you're fine, but yeah, you can come and I'm here to support you. And several times, God, probably like half a dozen times, people like that have had then a major trauma happen in their life, but then I'm already a full part of the support system. And so they can call me day of and be like, something just happened and I'm there, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's like, we've been building the support system, the scaffolding for what we'll need in the future, even though we don't need it Mm -hmm. now, or we don't know we need it. Um, So all that to say, like, I think it's good to have a relationship with a therapist, even if there aren't giant things happening with you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's good to have someone like that in your back pocket too, of like, if yeah. something does come up, because life is full of hardship, you know? Like a tool. Like like a hammer. Yes. yes. I'm, like a wrench. I'm a hammer. I don't yeah. know. I feel like I'm a, a machete. Ooh. Or a, what are those hammers that you break walls with? Sledgehammer. <laughs> sledgehammer? You're like the Kool-Aid man, just like busting through the wall. What did Kevin say he wanted to buy last week? A jackhammer? Oh, yeah. Well, he can, he's going to rent one. We have some work to do over at the rent house. He's going to rent a jackhammer. It's going to be fun. Oh. I'll bring my machete. No, my sledgehammer. Um, did I answer all those questions? How long... 
Okay. Yep. Okay. Cool. Uh, do you want to hear my jokes? I do want to hear your jokes. Um, and then I want to close with one thing I wanted to highlight, but jokes. Okay. Oh, that's not it. <clears throat> okay. Why was the stadium so chilly? Why? Because it was full of fans. Did you know that one? No, I didn't. I just, I heard you say the word chili and it made me think of like food in a stadium, <laughs> like chili dogs or something. I was like, is this a food joke? I saw, I That's saw a good you one. make that face. Yeah. And I was like, what are you doing? And you're like, mmm, chili. Mmm, <laughs> that sounds good. Um, what did the one wall say to the other wall? What? I'll meet you in the corner. Aww. I've got this one. My, my son gave me this one. Uh, knock, knock. Who's there? Dwayne. Dwayne who? Dwayne the bathtub. I'm drowning. I don't know. <laughs> that's that's great. That's thanks. Good job. Uh, I mean, he just pulled that out of somewhere, so I was like, cool. I'll, I'll use it. I have I have one. Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> I couldn't figure out how to execute it. I'll work on it for next week. Okay, work on it. Okay. Um, I wanted to close by highlighting this foundation that I recently found. It's called the Loveland, Loveland Foundation. Mm -hmm. I'm going to read a little bit that's on their website. The Loveland Foundation was established in 2018 by Rachel Cargill in response to her widely successful birthday wish fundraiser, Therapy for Black Women and Girls. Her enthusiastic social media community raised over $250,000, which made it possible for black women and girls nationally to receive therapy support. Black women and, girl and girls deserve access to healing, and that healing will impact generations. So, the Loveland so. Foundation is the official continuation of this effort to bring opportunity and healing to communities of color and especially to black women and girls through fellowships, residency programs, listening tours, and more. Ultimately, we hope to contribute to both the empowerment and the liberation of the communities we serve. Mm. So um, you can donate to this foundation. It's the lovelandfoundation.org, and they've got a therapy fund. And I made a donation a couple of weeks ago and it felt really oh, good. That's awesome. And I, I feel like it will be something that I will return to, um, especially if I, if, and when I ever have some more expendable income and if I'm not going to therapy myself, I think I will try to make some yeah. more regular donations there. Cause I think it's awesome. Yeah. That's so cool. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And we're going to leave it there. If you'd like to record a question or a comment for a future episode of The Feelings Club, give us a ring on the banana phone at 725-FEELING. That's 725-333-5464. Or you can use the voice memo app on your phone to record your question and email it to us at thefeelingsclubpodcast at gmail.com. Sally and I appreciate everyone who helps to spread the word about the show. We rely heavily on your word of mouth and reviews, tweets, and people posting about the show on Instagram. Visit our website, thefeelings.club. Sign up for our newsletter and check out Sally's blog. 
Follow us on Instagram at Feelings Club Podcast and Twitter at Feelings Club Pod. The Feelings Club Podcast is produced every week by Dwight Baker and me and my co-host, Sally Rumsey. Thank you for listening. All content is for entertainment purposes only and should not be used as a replacement for therapy or medical advice by a licensed doctor. This is not your therapy, y'all. The Feelings Club Invite all your friends to the Feelings Club Come be a part